Good evening, Awakening. Good evening. Good to be with you. Welcome. If you're new, my name's Ryan. If you're not, hi. Hello. Hey, tonight we're starting a new series called Blink. How will you measure your life? And before we dive into that, I wanted to take a moment and give honor where honor's due. And Jay talked about, and I'm a little loud. I'm going to get louder, Andrew. You may want to turn me down. Um, Jay talked about those who are serving. I just wanted to, there's some people who have gone above and beyond kind of the call of duty, who have who've really poured their very life into getting this launched. We're in our third week here, and it's amazing to watch as things, uh, we're figuring out systems and stuff's going smoother, uh, but there's been so much work, and sometimes you only see the upfront stuff, and you never get to see the behind-the-scenes stuff of how people are serving and working. And so I just wanted to do kind of a big honor and thank you to some specific individuals, and there's way, way more people that should be thanked, uh, but I can't say all of them at this point. But I just just thinking about children's, uh, and most of you don't really aren't, well, none of you are here at the five. Uh, I guess that would mean that's why you're here, uh, but that's a huge deal, and we had two people step up in a major way. Jeff Ordway, um, who just has done an awesome job, and then Ren Brems, who does stuff with our, uh, yeah, yeah, no, we're, we're thanking them, so it is okay to like, yeah. Uh, and I just think about uh, the tech team and the band. I mean, these guys show up at 1 o'clock to start setting up and getting ready. Uh, we had people climbing in the rafters to adjust lights. Uh, and think about, uh, like, Andrew Davis and um, Joe Chewy, who have just been dedicated to be here every week as we begin. Uh, think about our web team, which has been awesome to see. We never had a web team before, and now we do. Uh, and so, especially two, there's a handful of guys on it, but two guys that have knocked it out of the park, Will Simons and Justin Miller. And these guys <laughs> literally worked around the clock to get it up and running for our first day. And are, they're even still working on stuff now and working on an app and all those sort of things. Uh, and the vibe and the cafe and welcoming and uh, think about like Jenny Kim who serves so faithfully and think about um, uh, MJ and Janelle and Brian Cruz and just these guys that are stepping up and they're showing up. And it's just, you got to understand, it is such a deep honor and privilege to get to be a part of their team. For me to say I'm on their team. It is so amazing to serve alongside men and women who not only sacrifice their time, they sacrifice their very lives, and they deserve honor. Can we thank them? All right, moving forward, uh, we're starting this series, Blink, and what, I, what you need to know about it is it's an introduction. Tonight we're introducing the whole idea, and we're going to unpack it for the next three weeks after. How will you measure your life? Let me pray, and then we'll dive in. Jesus, we invite you here, ask that you would speak, and ask that we would have the courage to respond. That we would not sit idly by and have a moment where we kind of experience you and let it pass us by. That, but that, God, you would make us a people that when you show up and when you speak, we would have the sheer guts to respond. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember, do you remember when summer used to feel like it lasted forever? You remember those days? 
Weren't those awesome, you know? It, it just felt like it just went on and on and on. You're just like, oh. And then it, it stopped happening, and it felt like, I mean, this, literally this last summer, I thought it started, and I was like, all right, summertime. And I looked up, and I just blinked, and it was fall. <laughs> like, what the heck? Where did summer go? Do you, re- do you remember when it used to take forever for it to be Christmas time? Remember those days when you were just like waiting where I thought it was a sheer torture tool that my parents put up the advent calendar? (laughs) You know, because all it did was remind me how far away Christmas was. And it it was one of those things where it just went on and on and on. And then I was in Costco in the month of August. (laughs) They already have Christmas crap up unbelievable. But there's something about it where all of a sudden now Christmas is like, man, you know what? It's like time to, it didn't put our lights back up, get the tree. It feels like we, you know, just took it down. Well, we took ours down in July, so it is true. (laughs) You remember, do you remember, remember when car rides as a kid? They just took forever. I mean, it just seemed like it lasted on and on, and you'd just ask your parents, are we there yet. Did you ever go back and do some of those drives and realize it was a half an hour long? <laughs> or like two hours, and you're like, seriously? This felt forever. And, and, and here's this interesting phenomenon that we have in life. It, it's really bizarre. In fact, there's scientific studies on it, and uh, people have tried to figure out why. But there's this natural phenomenon that we experience, and here it is, is, is that as you grow older— it seems that life gets faster. Or the older you grow, the faster life goes. Here's what's interesting about it, is it's not just kind of a personal thing. It's not just like, oh, guys experience it or girls experience it. Or, you know, it's, it's just, you know, America, we're so time-oriented. They experience it. Or it's universal. In fact, it actually goes all the way back. You can chart it in ancient times. One of the oldest books that we have is the book of Job. And Job even, you know, encouraging words from Job. He says, life moves as swiftly as a runner and it ends with no hope. Like, thank you very much. That was encouraging. But there was this perception that it just feels like at times, right? That you blink. And the moments you thought you had and the moments that you thought would last forever are gone. And, and, and it's interesting, you, you blink, and you wake up, and you're, it feels like major sections of your life have passed you by. Like, what happened to the time? See, in light of that, I think there's a fundamental and crucial question we have to ask. In light of the reality that th- this, is, this is our perception, but it is also our reality. We perceive that time is moving faster, and, and, and so it feels like it's just racing. But, but it also is the reality is the older we get, the faster time seems to go. We know we have the same amount of minutes, but we experience them very differently now. And, and you just blink, and it's behind you. And you're like, we should ask different questions, better questions. Maybe one really big question. Here it is. The question for you and I, we must take the time to stop and ask, how will you measure your life? I mean, mean, what is the standard 
by the way you're going to actually measure or judge whether this life was worth it. Well, what's the standard or the barometer or the bar, the measurement in which you're going to look at and go, it was a life worth living. It's a life worth passing on. It was a life worth others imitating. Rather, blinking and wondering, what did I just do? Was it a life worth living that I just wasted? See, because here's why this is such a critical question is how you measure your life will greatly influence the decisions that direct your life. How you measure your life, the way you say, this is the way I'm going to measure or gauge whether this life is successful or not, is, will greatly influence your decisions that direct your life. You'll just naturally gravitate towards those things because you're beginning to set the internal barometer of your heart of this is what I see as being successful or making it or being a great person. We, we do this intuitively already. We all have things in which we measure our life, don't we? Whether spoken or unspoken, whether inherited from family or you just got it on your own, whether it's kind of something you've taken from culture, See, see how, let's ask this question. How do you really measure your life right now, really? Is it perhaps people's approval? Like that's the standard is, is, is you're judging the measurement of your life by how others respond and react to you. Maybe, maybe it's success. Maybe you have the standard of bar of achievement that you have to hit And so you have these, these check marks. You have your 5, 10, 15, 50-year plan. Like, I don't even know if I'm going to live 50 more years, but I, I'm planning for it. How do, you, how do you measure success? Is it the one who has the most toys? You get the most stuff? Is it your possession? Is it more? Maybe it's the most experiences. You, you measure a great life as, you know what, I had the biggest and best adventures and the most experiences. You know, you know because the old adage is it's, it's all about the journey, so man, live it up. Maybe it's a comparison of where you just begin to look around and you just go, okay, how am I doing? I'm doing okay next to them. Well, if they get that, then I'll do that. And if they do that, then I'll do that. Because how you measure your life, how you determine whether or not what success is in the future will greatly influence your decisions that direct your life. And if you don't answer this question well up front, you'll blink. And you'll look back and go, huh, what happened? I remember when I first, someone was telling me to stay engaged uh, about, you know, that whole phenomenon, the older you grow, the faster life seems to go. And I almost, I, I was almost like, shut up. I can say that in church because this is our church and we're out of school. Um, <laughs> right? But it, but it was something where I heard it and I'm like, whatever, come on. And I remember someone saying that, especially when uh, my first uh, kid was born. And they're like, treasure these moments. I'm like, Okay. She's waking up every night in the middle of the night screaming. And you want me to treasure what? I'm changing poopy diapers. And then all of a sudden, the words of the wise who've gone ahead of me, I blinked and she's eight. I'm like, what the heck? See, the question for you and I, we must answer, 
and we must answer well, is how will you measure your life? We have tons of ways in our culture of measuring things, don't we? Uh, I mean, I just brought in a few. We measure time by a clock, and sometimes it gives an accurate, this is about five minutes slow generally, so not too accurate, but sometimes it mainly does. But we have specific tools to measure specific things, right? I mean, this is not, I have a measuring tape here that measures length, but this is something entirely different. This is a level, And so it helps me know whether something's crooked or straight, whether it's level there. Because we have specific tools or specific things that tell us this is what you measure in every arena of life. Uh, Even just this mixing bowl. It's like, because I wouldn't use a tape measure to measure flour. (laughs) Maybe you would. I'd use a mixing bowl because we understand that. But could it be that too often many of us are using the wrong measurement for our life. And we wake up wondering what happened. See, what's interesting is the Bible actually has a lot to talk about it, about how you measure your life. In fact, Paul has this amazing phrase as he starts this chapter about the standard or the measurement of what life should be. And he's writing to this church in Corinth that really is a messed up, screwed up church. It's a church that if you kind of looked at it from the outside, we, we'd feel good about ourselves, especially if we, can, we use the comparison method. Because none of us, when we're taking communion, is getting drunk. And I don't think anyone's committing incest in here, I hope. And, and if you do the kind of comparison deal, like, okay, we're pretty good. And he's writing to this church that measured the overall success of their church, because that's a great question to ask for us, too, as a community. How will we measure our church? What is the standard bar? That measured their spirituality by what they did, the outward expression of literally tongues, of speaking in tongues. And, and they got so consumed on this one aspect of faith that they totally got lopsided and were headed in a really bad direction. And and Paul, in the midst of this conversation, has this amazing phrase. He he says this, And now, I'll show you the most excellent way. Now, he's he's saying, in, in light of what you're currently measuring to be success, in light of what you're currently judging to be the standard of how you should live, I, let me show you the most excellent way. Way is literally the, the behavior or set of life that you embrace. It's the path you take. It's the lifestyle. But here's what's even more interesting. You know that word excellent? It is so weak in our English. This is such a cool word. This word literally means to tip the scale. It literally means that, that if you're trying to measure something, that he's going to show you a way that just overflows the measurement of it. It's way, way beyond. Because here's what I'd suggest. Could it be that the way we measure life often leaves us feeling very empty in the end? Lacking. Wanting. Uh, why, why is there so many midlife crises? Because you get to a point where you think it's going to finally fulfill. And at that moment, you realize you wake up one day and go, it doesn't fulfill. I'm going to try something different. And it probably is going to mean a motorcycle. 
I've watched more, I can't tell you, I've watched more moms and dads leave on their family because they finally said, they're like, I've done this, done this, and now it's my time. You destroyed families. We, we got an interesting thing now, don't we? We have what we call a quarter-life crisis. That's where you fit, most of you. 25 and freaked out. And you have this quarter-life crisis because maybe you're just catching it sooner than most. That the way you've measured a life leaves you often feeling lacking, wanting, empty. And Paul, 2,000 years ago, says, and now, if you would, for a second, just take it in on the greatest question I think you can ask, how will I measure my life? He says this, and now, let me show you the most excellent way. Let me show you a way that will literally blow you away. That won't leave you empty, but will overflow your cup. But he says this. He says that it requires, to, to, to do this, it literally requires a perspective change. A, a fundamental shift in the way you and I understand life. That we have to actually look at our life different than the way we're seeing it. You ever had your perspective like totally rocked? Like, oh my gosh, I never saw that before? Like you saw it from a different perspective? I, I remember the first time this happened to me was with my wife when we were newly married. And my perspective was that she really didn't like to leave on time. And I'd ask her this question. Jenny, are you ready to go? And she answered, yes. And I'd get my coat on. This was in Chicago. It's freezing cold. And I'd be standing with my beanie on at the door with the door open. And she's in the bathroom. And I'm waiting. And eventually, I just kind of, first year of marriage, I kind of blew up. I'm like, what's going on? I said, are you ready to go? He said, yes, you're lying to me. And she looked at me and said, you asked, am I ready to go? And yes, I am ready to go. But there's stuff I am doing so I can't get out the door yet. But personally, I am all ready. I am dressed. <laughs> and so I learned a new perspective. And so I asked a fundamentally different question. I never asked, are you ready to go again? I asked, are you ready to walk out the door? <laughs> What Paul's inviting you and I into is says, maybe there's different questions you need to ask. That you fundamentally look at life a little bit different because you understand how life works now. Listen to what he says. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child and I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. The perspective change is this, and he's speaking to this church in Corinth that is really behaving quite immaturely. I, I would even gather to say that in America, we have a childish perspective overall. You have this idea, in fact, uh, they've said that there is now a delayed adolescence, that the adolescent age used to be breaking at 18, has extended all the way now to 28 to excuse for everyone's behavior who's still living with mom at 28. Yeah, that was a little too convicting. Sorry about that. <laughs> and he says, 
this shift is one from a perspective of a child to an adult, from immaturity to maturity. Let, let me unpack what that means real quick. In, in regards to time, a child processes life as if it was infinite. I have all the time in the world. In fact, a child says this. Uh, often will say, you know, I'm just killing time. An adult processes time as finite. In fact, an adult realizes time is actually killing me. A child looks forward to his birthday. Well, eventually you don't. Child, in regards to time, it feels forever, and as an adult, it feels fast. You realize you have a limited amount of time on this planet, so make it count. A child, in regards to values, uh, really responds to tangible stuff you can taste, see, feel, where adult deals in the area of intangibles, things that you can't touch. It's more about relationships. It's more about um, legacy. A, a child it focuses on possessions and stuff and toys, focuses on the now, immediate gratification, where adult moves to the later, delayed gratification. A child, in regards to resources, this is the main word. I've heard my kids say it too many times. Mine. Mine. An adult shifts perspective in regards to resources. Steward. So you know when you're an adult, you realize that eventually you're going to die. Welcome to Awakening. I'm glad you came. Be encouraged. And so all the stuff you have is going to go to someone else anyway. You might as well leverage it while you're here for the greatest amount of good. And they realize it's not really mine anyways because I, I just got it from someone else coming along. And now I am a steward. A child, in regards to focus, is focused on themselves. Where an adult has this perspective change, this shift to others. A child is, the question is, what about me? It's my needs, my desires, my feelings. An adult says, it, no, no, no. It's about your needs, your desires, your feelings. See, you, you know what you learned the first year of marriage? Uh, and in relationship, this is some, a lot of you are here in great relationships, uh, and you're like, woohoo, I'm dating, this is great, and, and you're just loving it, and you're giving all your time and all your energy, like, this is awesome. And then you get married. <laughs> and, and you get married, and you come to this realization of how selfish you are. And you have a decision how you're going to respond to it, and how you respond to it really determines how the rest of that year is going to go. But you, Every couple I've walked with, and for me personally, came to an awakening, especially in that first year of, wow. Because you're making that perspective shift of, it's not about me. In fact, a child says, you owe me. And you know what? And this is like a huge, huge lesson in relationships, especially if you're married. You know what the, your spouse owes you? And you're like, I don't have a spouse. Just write it down for later. <laughs> you owe me Nothing. See, when people owe you, your love has limits. When people owe you, you love to get. You will never adequately love another human being until you are freed up to the extent where you can look at them and say, you owe me nothing. I just love you. And that's what we all deeply longing for and desire. 
But so oftentimes we approach relationships in the same way that we processed as a child, didn't we? Like, well, you owe me. It's my needs. My. If, if every relationship says, no, it's about you, no, it's about you, no, it's about you, you know how good that relationship is? Instead of going, mine, 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 mine. <laughs> See, Paul says, check this out. I'll show you the most excellent way. The tough work, the tough work is will you begin to ask different questions? Instead of time and asking what time it is, we, we ask the question, what am I to do with the time I have? That you'd begin to shift from a perspective of a child to an adult. Now this next part is something that we're going to spend three weeks and unpack. It is exactly what it, it means for us to measure our life by. In fact, it gives us three essential ingredients that if you want to say this is the bar or parameter standard by which you should measure your life, that you can look back and he says the most excellent overflowing way that will fill your cup. It says here it is. And if three is too many, just do one. Let me give you the most essential one. He says, and now these three things remain. Faith, hope, love. That when you make that perspective change from one of a child to an adult, you're now able to step out and risk where you've never risked before because you can rely on God. Faith is just simply the confidence of who God, uh, that God is who he said he is and he will do what he said he will do. Hope. I love what uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said on hope and he began to, you know, do hope versus optimism. He said optimism believes in progress that circumstances will get better. And you're just kind of optimistic. Well, things are progressing. Hope, however, is built on the conviction of another reality, another kingdom that already exists. And so hope endures even when hype fades. And the greatest thing that we have as a community to extend a hurting and broken world is the hope of a new life, new world, new reality. And love says if you're going to measure your life, the one essential, he said this about love, but the greatest of these is love. In fact, the whole chapter 13 is all about the supremacy, the centrality of love. Love is just simply this, giving the other person what they need the most when they deserve it the least. He says these are the gauges the barometer by which you measure a great life. So the question then is how, how do you measure your life? Not, not how will you one day, but how do you measure your life now currently as you are? Where are you at? Uh, let me give you just a couple application points to help you begin to unpack where you're at. In the next few weeks after that, we'll unpack the nitty-gritty and actually give teeth to some of those flowery statements that you're like, oh, faith, hope, love. No, no, no. These are real, dirty, great words. But here's the application. And here's what I want you to do. Pay attention this week to the questions you're asking. Pay attention to the questions you're asking. The question you ask reveals what is most valuable or important to you. 
the questions you're asking in your life reveal how you're measuring your life. Take, for instance, real quick, uh, if I went to my wife and I just got a phone call from her and she let me know that she got in a car accident. Now, the next question I ask is vitally important to the health of my relationship. Because if the first question that comes out of my mouth is, is the car okay? (laughs) Oh, mama. (laughs) But, is are you okay? Because it's in that moment, and you you pay attention to the first responses. First responses reveal where you're really at. Because if my first question is, is the car okay? What I value most is things. Cars. My first question and she will get it. Are you okay? Speaks value that I value you more than anything. Pay attention to the questions you're asking. Second then, I, and this is a big challenge, gang. And, and by the way, this is like one where I want us all to do it, okay? Yeah, but this is, I think this will be hard. M- create margin. See, most of us never think deeply or live deeply because we've never taken time to do either of those. And we live at a fast-paced, constant movement. Go, go, go. Next, next, next. Create margin. Ruthlessly create margin. It will never happen. It doesn't accidentally happen. It's not like time suddenly appears. Time's fleeting. It's going, going faster. Until you stop and say, time out. Create margin in your life. You'll never actually take the time to sit and think deeply and unpack perhaps one of the biggest questions you should be asking, especially in this room when it's filled with so many 20-year-olds who should be asking this question now when you'll be more motivated when you're 40 years old. Because you're like, wait a second. Ask how do I measure my life? Here's how I want us to create margin. Take a seven-day media fast. Just, just turn it off. Unplug. Like, oh my gosh. And I, I know you got to do it for work and you got to do it for school and some of those sort of things, but, but I, you would be shocked at how much time you have. You, you'd be shocked because you would experience this phenomenon that you haven't experienced in years. It's called being bored. <laughs> and you would unplug in your car and turn off the music and allow stillness to settle your soul. You would unplug at home and not have the TV on or, you know, hanging out on Facebook or whatever it is or on your phone. My gosh, I'm like constantly checking my phone and I'm not even that important of a person to like constantly check how many emails. I just want to know, is there something there? Nope, there isn't. Okay, then I put it back. And then I go like five minutes later, what about now? You know, and then put it back. (laughs) And, And like, what is this? Or you take seven days, isn't it worth it to take seven days to think deeply, to wrestle deeply, and take time, create margin. It will not happen. You must create it. And then lastly, lastly, invite someone into the process. So often we have these experiences and God meets you and you stay silent and nothing changes. And you have this moment where you're like, okay, 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 I got, got this, this is good, Woo, this is good. And you look back three months later and you're going, well, nothing happened. 
You never invited anyone into the journey where you had significant conversation and you began to go together. Invite someone into the process of your soul, of where you're talking about where you're at. You're talking about your fears and your dreams. And you're talking about, when you're talking about value, you're just talking about the deepest things of your heart. And, and maybe it's your spouse or mate or girlfriend, boyfriend. Maybe it's a, a best friend, a roommate. Maybe it's a mentor where you would invite someone in to the process. See, because how you measure your life will greatly influence the decisions that direct your life. I just want to close with this story because it just shook me, and this is when it, this first shook me, and I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope that it'll bring it home, that you would actually not just hear and go away, but that you would hear and do. It was about five years ago, uh, August, that I got a phone call. Sometimes when you're a pastor, you don't want phone calls because you, you get bad ones. We just moved from Georgia uh, to San Jose, and I was only here about a month, and I got a phone call that one of our core families, I was a high school pastor at the time, uh, this family that we uh, did all our events at their house. They lived in this country club, and I mean, they're so generous. They're active in our church, uh, and, and I mean, they had both of their kids in our high school group. We were just close. I mean, uh, the couple was this amazing couple. He was a, he was a, you know, a CEO, and he did a, a Bible studies for CEOs at his, um, in his country club. <laughs> that was his world, and he married his high school sweetheart, and I got this call that Brock Stanton killed himself. The dad. This guy that I watched, that I admired. See, he was an entrepreneur. Dealt in the area of kind of the scientific medical world. And he had started a company and he actually bet the farm on it. I mean, he leveraged all his savings, retirement. He leveraged even his house and all that he had. Because it was a sure bet, and this one company, it looked like they were going to get bought out. And if they got bought out, it was one in which, man, the payoff was huge, and they are set for life. And it just seemed like it was a sure thing. And I get this call to go back to this man's funeral, who somehow along the way, his perspective shifted. Where he never actually did any, invite anyone in. It's just only later that we read in his journal they came to the conclusion that he was worth more dead than alive. That he could provide for his family better being dead and them collecting insurance than them having to move out of their country club house. I got to tell you, the way he measured his life was tragic. And his granddaughter, who never got to meet her granddad, would never measure his life that way. His two boys and his high school sweetheart would way rather be living in a dump with their dad. And here's a good guy He just allowed the subtlety of what he measured and what was most valuable to shift. 
So the question for you to respond as the band comes up is what about you? How will you measure your life? Let's pray. God, as we just sit here, taking in this call to something totally new, I ask that you would give each person the wisdom to know what to do. The wisdom to know what direction, who to invite in. The wisdom to know uh, what you're actually saying to them. And then God, I pray once again that you would give them the courage to do it, even when it's hard. In Jesus' name, amen.